Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back, you health renaissance people. Yes, calling to you from the middle of the dark ages. Okay, so let's go over the coronavirus. And this is part three, so hopefully we're going to answer a lot of questions. <clears throat> they came up with a name. It's called COVID-19. Um, now, what, what do we know so far? So far... And again, there's still a lot of conspiracy theories out there. You know, we're just going to go through facts um, to to knock out fear. Fear, false expectations appearing real, uh, will not help you. For one, we know still that the virus is highly infective. We also currently using the numbers that we have now. Now, remember, when people talk about statistics. And I'm getting my statistics from Lancet. Um, I'm also getting it from Johns Hopkins University, which has had an in-place system. They're getting their data from the Chinese. Now, when they talk about total confirmed cases, uh, did those cases, each one of them have an accurate um, uh, assessment? To find out if it really was from that virus, because remember, time it's winter. It's winter in China, and there are more things that can cause flu-like symptoms, which is exactly like this coronavirus. So you've got rhinoviruses. You actually have influenza-type viruses. There's a number of different things that can cause a similar cold. So now, is the tests that they're doing to differentiate this coronavirus from the other people that would have a sickness? Is that accurate? So these questions have to be answered. But let's just go on the data that we have, because a lot of people are saying, look, the data is not accurate. And I'm in total agreement the data is not accurate, but we got to work with something, and this is the best we got so far. <clears throat> so if we look back a couple of Sundays ago, they had, and this is February 2nd, so we're talking around 16 days or about two weeks ago. Um, there were 14,000 confirmed cases, 305 deaths, and 443 people recovered. So now let's leap forward to today. Um, that 14,000 number is now 73,000 confirmed cases. Uh, total deaths, it's 1,875. And total recovered is skyrocketing. It's around 13,000. Uh, so when we talk about recovered, these are people that got the illness or got an a, Ill a illness that's similar to this virus that had some type of, and then based on the studies, either an x-ray analysis or a swab, they were pronounced no longer infectious and they no longer had it. So this virus, no matter how scary it is, it still is a virus. Uh, so realize that if you strengthen your immune system, your body will recover because according to the numbers, it's still around a 98% survival rate. So that's a little bit better than the standard flu. Uh, now, what might be interesting, and again, we got a bunch of conspiracy theories. If we look way back to 1981, um, author Dean Koontz, uh, wrote a book called The Eyes of Darkness, and this is interesting. It talks about a Chinese military lab that creates a virus as part of a biological weapons program, and this lab happened to be located in Wuhan. 
Um, it, so now you might think, whoa, that's totally cool. Okay, that in 1981, this guy came up with a scenario similar to what we're experiencing. Well, there actually is a, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, um, and it houses Chinese only a four bio, a level four biosafety laboratory. Uh, now, it's located around 32 kilometers from the epicenter of the coronavirus, where they think is that market. And it's interesting, um, the opening of this maximum security lab was covered in the Journal of Nature in 2017. And they were concerned about the safety. So now remember, this lab is looking at different viruses, different things. And you might think, well, why is it in Wuhan? Well, when the Japanese invaded China, now they did a lot of chemical weapons research. Okay, uh, The unit was called 731, and it was in Harbin in north uh, China. But they also stored a lot of chemical weapons in Wuhan, which Japan admitted. Now, why would you? Why would Wuhan be the center? Well, for one, it's right on the Yangtze River that goes east to west. There's a, a tremendous amount of high-speed rail lines that go north and south, so it's pretty much at the crossroads of transportation networks in the country. So we can see why an author in '81 doing research would come up with that. Now, if you're looking at the news at all, you're seeing absolutely insanity. You're seeing them spraying this white powder or when people are getting off of planes or off of buses, they have these masks on, their eyes are closed, and they're spraying their uh, like water, liquid, or, or smoke around. Um, it, it brings back memories of way back when you see in the 50s and 60s, um, generally the early 50s, DDT is good for me. Okay, they would spray DDT over these pools of these kids in the summertime without mosquitoes because mosquitoes were thought to be bad and carry diseases. And DDT was thought to be fantastic because you can, it's, it's fine. I mean, they were making wallpapers out of DDT to keep the kids' rooms clear. We now know that DDT is a neurotoxin that's bad for you. Uh, but isn't it interesting that they're spraying the stuff to kill viruses when viruses are actually essential for our survival? Um, and when you look at certain, um, let's look at certain uh, areas that have um, viruses um, in control. Okay, now just take our hospitals, for instance. Okay, when you're looking at our hospitals, um, 75,000 people a year die of hospital-acquired infections. Um, some people, and this was written in um, July 2013, 99,000 people die every year of hospital-acquired infections. So when we look at this, <laughs> we got to start thinking, wait a second, if we can't disinfect a hospital, if you cannot disinfect a hospital, um, then how are you going to disinfect by spraying stuff um, on on people? So it, it's just it it it's mind blowingly stupid that we're actually even thinking about um, doing something along those lines. 
So um, what do we have so far for theories? Well, so far for theories, you still have a number of people looking at the gene sequence. And I want to explain a little. If, if you have any time, okay, and you're, you're interested in looking at what the scientists are doing, because there's scientists all around the world that are looking at these viral particles, and they're trying to put it together. Imagine like um, a jigsaw puzzle, and you have all of these viral fragments, and you're trying to assemble them in a pattern to get the virus genome sequence. Now, viruses utilize host DNA to replicate. So if this virus grew in you or grew in your brother or sister or, or spouse, it's going to use their DNA or RNA that Corona happens to be an RNA virus, but you know it's going to use that host material in order to make it. So you can see that that when we're getting it, we're not getting what you see in the newspaper—a really pretty picture of a round circle that looks like a, a crown. Okay, so now here I'm going to I'm going to read some of the threads off of some of the science uh, platforms that I've been looking at, uh, where the the doctors, the scientists around the world, they're trying to assemble these and they're finding some problems and some successes. Uh, quote. A word of caution about interpreting this tree. I'm almost certain that the divergent sequence IVDC slash HB slash 05 2019 is divergent because of the sequencing and assembling artifacts. I strongly suggest not making any epidemic inferences from the six genomes available at the moment. I have contacted the authors of the sequence, but have not heard a reply yet. End of quote. So that's one thread, and I, I want to read another one, just to get you the, the appreciation of what, what they're doing. Quote, I agree with Trevor that the mutations in the HB-4 are suspect, right next to each other, non-synonymous, close to a poly-T stretch, and this sequence also needs some manual editing for the indels. I think they're probably not correct that the sequence would also be identical. As for the IVDC slash HB slash 05, I agree with everyone that the sequence is definitely wrong. There's a cluster of mutations, wacky, TS slash TV ratio, etc. If I do my best to eliminate the sequencing errors that I have commonly observed over the years, then I get a maximum of seven mutations in this sequence, four of which are synonymous. Seven of these can be excluded as likely errors, but I still think they represent an overestimation. End of quote. So, so think of this. It's really kind of exciting that they're looking at a viral cause, and where does it come from? So, so nothing's really boiled down yet. Uh, now, um, the, the latest thing uh, is that it is not manufactured, that it's actually an ancient virus um, from pangolins and bats. Pangolins looks like um, it's, a, it's a, a mammal, but it looks like an armadillo. Okay, really darling little creatures. Okay, but I guess you can eat them in China. And um, they are ridiculously cute looking. Um, and evidently, this is a virus. Because remember, viruses mutate. Viruses are well-organized molecular parasites. And, and so if you get a virus from a bat to a pangolin or from a bat or a pangolin to a human, they're going to use that human DNA to replicate. 
and is it infectious in that in that new animal species and so just know right now um, even though nothing is hard and fast and in fact it might not be they might not have the complete gene sequence they might not have the actual source of this virus for another several months and even then you got to be suspect because these are the thing with science is you always got to prove the negative okay how could this not be and just just look back in history um in 2003, the media was spreading massive fear-mongering about the SARS pandemic, which, which proved to be totally overblown. There were around 800 deaths, but they were talking that this was going to take over the world. And, you know, in, for an example, in 2003, the fear-mongering over SARS was ridiculous, okay? In 800 people died, which, I mean, it's 800 people is a lot of people. However, for comparison, there were 42,000 people killed in motor vehicle accidents. Two million people in car wrecks were killed. And then you go up to 2009, where the World Health Organization predicted the global swine flu pandemic that could affect as many 2 billion people over the next two years. And again, panic, panic, panic. Um, at the time, there was even an evidence that suggested that the H1N1 was bioengineered. Okay, however, no pandemic or epidemic really occurred. Um, and they estimated around 8,000 to 17,000 deaths from that strain in that year. Now, think of this. An estimate of between 8,000 and 17,000, does that sound like they're doing accurate testing? No. And this was back in 2009. So the fear-mongering that I want you to avoid, it's, it's aimed to convince people to take the next experimental, untested, toxic vaccine or, or health um, uh, intervention. Uh, so, you know, and they're wiping out because people with fear will give up their rights. Now, we also have the Begin Sedat Center for Strategic Studies. Now, this is, again, out of Israel. And uh, the title of the article, it is about Danny Shoham, which is an Israeli biologic warfare expert. Now, they're thinking that this uh, expert is connecting China's Wuhan virus to a covert biological warfare laboratory. Now, we already know that there is a lab there. We know that there was some safety concerns. But Shoham stated, uh, certain laboratories in the Institute have probably been engaged in terms of research and development in Chinese biologic weapons, at least collaterally, not yet has the primary facility of the Chinese uh, BW alignment. He unquestionably states that the biologic tests that are run in these laboratories are covert. The U.S. State Department believes that China has been partaking in covert biologic warfare operations as well, and China den denies any rumors in the involvement. Well, well, think of this, okay, because you do have a lab. There is a lab in China. Um, this Israeli biologic warfare expert is thinking that they are working on biowarfare. Well, what does a lab do? <clears throat> when you're looking at a lab, a level four lab, these guys are working with very, very contagious, toxic elements. Now, are they working to um, make a profit? 
or and to do data. More than likely both, okay, because it's a lab in China. So if they're looking at these virus particles, they're trying to build um, either an intervention or a pathogen. Okay, does that make sense? So you're going to be building either a virus or you're going to be building the cure for a virus. Okay, in these, or you're studying how viruses replicate, and you can do some other cool experiments. But let's just say that they were looking for um, to build a universal vaccine. And this is, again, massive market because there's vaccines out there for, you know, measles, mumps, chicken pox, um, diphtheria, pertussis, tetanus. But, and that doesn't affect everyone. Uh, what if you were to develop a universal vaccine for the common cold? The market would be tremendous. Now, knowing that the coronavirus is about 25% of the common cold or the causative factors, that would be tremendous and a great way to experiment. However, when they developed a vaccine for the SARS um, or the sudden acute respiratory uh, syndrome, that that it killed all the animals that it was involved in the study, so they couldn't get it to the next stage. So to develop just a straight vaccine utilizing a SARS protein wasn't really effective because it killed all the animals. Now, and again, there's a lot of, of conspiracy theories out there, okay? And I, I don't want you to get caught up uh, in amongst those um, psychoses. Uh, but there was, and again, this is February 6th, sudden death of can Canada's first coronavirus biosafety lab for director. Um, and the question was, was Dr. Um, Frank Plummer assassinated? Uh, and then was he, was he not? When you look at some of the reports, and, and I'm just bringing this up to show that there is crazy wild stuff going everywhere. Um, this one report says that he died of a heart attack, okay? and But he was actually part of a team that developed a patent and found a cure for the Ebola virus, which, in, um, uh, which included this Chinese biologist who was ushered out of the lab in 2019, okay, from some possible um, security breaches. But then you look at another one on Great uh, Game India, really good website, by the way. On February 6th, they said, quote, in a very strange turn of events, renowned scientist Frank Palmer, who received the Saudi SARS coronavirus sample, was working on a coronavirus HIV vaccine. Um, and... Um, a Winnipeg Canadian lab from where the virus was smuggled by Chinese biowarfare agents has died under mysterious conditions. So one says that he probably died of a heart attack. Another, he died of mysterious conditions. And a third one, okay, and this was uh, posted by on February 4th of the Canadian press, uh, the title of the article is Renowned Scientist Frank Plummer, who up the, the response to SARS H1N1 has died. And they say that he had some type of tumor. And in fact, um, they call him a world-renowned microbiologist and infectious disease expert. And he was at the helm of the SARS, the influenza H1N1 epidemic. Um, after decades, and this is what they say, 
Plummer recently shared his own battle with alcoholism. After decades of drinking and attempts at quitting and a liver transplant, Plummer decided to get experimental treatment using deep brain stimulation in 2018. And they say that's what he died of. So, you know, the conspiracy theories, what do we know? Right now, they haven't identified the virus completely, um, but it looks like uh, it may be an ancient virus or something made. So we don't know yet. Um, the case studies, are there actual cases that have been confirmed that guarantee are from that one virus and not from some other causative factors? Again, the data that we shows shows still a 98% survival rate. The people that are getting sick and dying um, have some type of secondary problem. We know also um, the government is responding in complete abject fear. That's where they're spraying com completely, uh, well, I don't want to say ineffective, because when you're spraying or trying to disinfect an entire city, does that work in hospitals? No, it doesn't. When you disinfect a hospital, you're looking at anywhere between 60 and 99,000 people are dying from secondary infections in hospitals because you keep disinfecting. The only things that are left alive are things that survive the disinfectant. And we have an intimate relationship with viruses, funguses, and bacteria that if you start to destroy the non-pathogenic ones along with the pathogenic ones because the the sprays and everything else that they're using on people are not specific to wipe out just that one coronavirus 19 it's going to wipe out the normal flora and if this is an aerosol form and gas form guess what you're breathing it in now, you have normal flora in your lungs. You have normal flora on your skin. You got it in your eyes. So if all this stuff is being sprayed around you, you're getting this antibiotic inside of your lungs that can create secondary infections. Um, what type of infections? Well, it kills almost 100,000 people a year in America, in hospitals. And you can't get a more disinfected place than an American hospital. And we now know that that doesn't work, but we're still utilizing old technology. So let's, let's look at um, what you can do. And that would be probably uh, the best thing that you can do is understand that the numbers will continue, continue to increase. Okay, right now, currently, and I, I, I want to bring this back up, you're looking at 73,000 confirmed cases. You could multiply that by 10. Okay, honest to goodness. There's more than likely a million cases that haven't been identified. And remember, it's a flu. So if you go into the hospital, then there's nothing they can do because a hospital can't do anything for a virus. They can give you uh, prophylactic antibiotics, which can create a secondary infection. Uh, but basically, it's staying home, drinking soup, uh, building your fever, allowing your body to go through the infectious stage, um, give supportive therapy uh, for, you know, oxygen, maybe a nebulizer, colloidal silver. There's a number of things you can do, but know that 13,000 people have recovered completely and they can never get infected again. 
Okay, and you can multiply that times 10 as well. So so multiply all these numbers. You know, if the numbers scare you, just multiply it by 10 because they don't really know. Know that viruses tend to uh, progress in the wintertime. Absolutely, and according to Lancet, this epidemic will continue to increase around the world till about April. And then by that time, the number of people that have got it and recovered, the number of people who were susceptible, okay, with the weakened immune system will, will it, it recover, okay? And because you're looking at 98% of the people recover, only 2% die. So the more people recover, that's called herd immunity. So we're going to see less and less and less um, a transmission after April, according to the latest models. <clears throat> look at Louis Pasteur and Antoine Beauchamp. When we look at Beauchamp or Beauchamp, <clears throat> we know that it's the terrain. So if 98% of the people survive this and 2% die, let's look at what the 2% are doing to achieve death. Or with the 98% of the – what's the difference between those two? Well, it has to do what uh, your immune system is. So what you can do right now, right now, and I mean today, number one, do not panic. Don't panic. And remember, panic is used to sell you a product or to have you give up your rights. Don't panic, okay? Look for a new uh, – don't look for a brand-new medical intervention. Don't jump on the vaccine or the antiviral or antibiotic bandwagon. Don't do anything that suppresses symptoms um, for a short-term benefit. Do everything you can to strengthen your immune system. This means look at your physical, chemical, and emotional stressors. Know that viruses are parasites. They use host DNA material, or RNA in this case, to replicate so they get weaker each time they transfer patient to patient. This is why Ebola died out. This is why H1N1, SARS, the, the, the MERS, the Mideast Respiratory Syndrome. No matter how virulent the virus, people can recover. That means that people actually recovered from Ebola. Um, you know, the, the bubonic plague, okay, which was spread by rats and fleas, okay, literally people recovered from that. <clears throat> so by strengthening the immune system is the only way that you can recover. So deal effectively with your stressors. Get vitamin D3 between 5,000 and 50,000 units a day for at least a couple of weeks. Vitality C with ribose or any type of vitamin C um, that, uh, that you can take that's in whole food form. Magnesium, fantastic. Um, look, at, look at charcoal, activated charcoal, amazingly important. Deep sleep to regenerate your tissue. Um, a sauna, or, or you can even build yourself a poor man sauna where you wrap your body in towels. Look at hot soups, garlic, onions, ginger, root vegetables. Those have antimicrobial effects. Um, effects. Um, hot liquids to, to heat up that esophagus, which will also heat up 
the trachea, the breathing tubes. Uh, doing deep breathing exercises or mild exercises so you can elevate your heart rate. Look at activated charcoal. Uh, activated charcoal is not only just a um, uh, like like a detoxicant. It's fantastic for your immune system. Fantastic. Um, then look at conscious breathing. The Wim Hof method, where you're rapidly inhaling and exhaling, or look at conscious breathing. We've got a couple of videos on that. What does that do? That expands the oxygen, strengthens your immune system, and it's a calming effect. Utilize essential oil. Look at, look at thieves' oil. Fantastic. Uh, uh, colloidal silver in a nebulizer. Fantastic. There are so many things that you can do to strengthen your immune system. But mainly, do not panic um, because there is some scary stuff out there. And if you want to panic, look at the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act. Now, this means that the government has the rights to, I mean, literally lock you away. And it provides immunity from liability for claims um, issued to any company that produces a vaccine or some other intervention in response to a pandemic, they have no liability. And so when you hear about experimental vaccines, experimental drugs, uh, those companies are producing a product that they're going to make a profit out of with no liability and no tests. So do not fall for the, the panic. Okay, you will be okay. This is just a virus, whether it was accidentally released, on purpose released, okay, it looks like more than likely it was an accident, um, but it is just a virus. It is just a virus. 98% um, uh, survival rate. Strengthen your immune system. Don't panic. And I will keep you up to date on all of this information. It will be live on Facebook tonight, and this will be posted in a week on um YouTube. This is Dr. John Bergman. God bless you, and I love you. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.